What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Bridie here. This week's guest is Yana Talon Hicks. Yana is a couples and relationships therapist, as well as a consent, sex, and sexuality writer and educator living in Western Massachusetts. Her work centers around pleasure positive and consent based sex education, which she delivers through her writing, her workshops, therapy, and uh, online coaching. We chatted with Yana about attachment style and autonomous change and her upcoming book, Hot and Unbothered, that offers readers a roadmap of working through stumbling blocks and fulfilling their sexual desires. Jeremy and I definitely had some light bulb moments in this conversation and we've been carrying those with us as we move through the seasons of our own relationships. We think you're going to love this conversation, so stay tuned. We'll see you on the other side. Uh, this is going to be really fun. We're sitting down with Yana Talon Hicks, um, a sex therapist and an author. And um, uh, her new book is uh, coming out very soon. Uh, I mean, this year it's coming out uh, at August, mid-August. Which feels like today here in Halifax, it feels like mid-August. I, I know. It's fucking it's amazing. Really, it's amazing. The sun is shining. Yeah. 
It is yeah. a happy day to be having this conversation. Yeah, but let's definitely not start this conversation by talking about the weather. Okay. Uh, hot <laughs> and bothered. Uh, hot, sorry, hot and unbothered. How mm-hmm. to think about, talk about, and have the sex you really want is the name of the book. Uh, Yana, hello. Thank you so much for for joining us. And Hi. Um, uh, why don't you why don't you just uh, take take a moment here to introduce yourself to our listeners and give us a little bit of insight into. Uh, who you are, the work mm-hmm. that you do, and and how you found yourself um, in this world of of sex therapy and sex uh, writing. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was like I was going to say author, author, authorizing 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 <laughs> authorize people's sex lives. That is actually kind of what I do. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I do a lot of different things. Um, like you said, I'm a sex therapist. I also write about sex quite often. Um, I actually got started by way of my school. I went to this, like, have you ever heard of Hampshire College? No. It's kind of like, I'm sure you have these in Canada too, but they're like hippy dippy colleges where you like create your own majors and sort of like pave your own way. And I went, yeah, Yeah, we have one. We got one for sure. Our friend Elise Pearson. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. West. Yeah. Okay. Continue. (laughs) So I like went there for creative writing and photography. And I ended up taking this like hard left into sex education after I took a class called youth sexuality and education. And it was all about the state of sex ed in the States. Mm -hmm. Mm. And as someone that like was a youth in the States, like pre Google, pre smartphones and like really just terrible sex ed experiences, I was like, Oh shit, this is really interesting. Can I say shit on this podcast? Yeah. Fuck. Absolutely not. Um, and so I just ended up like creating my own major about sex education. And then I just kind of like went from there. I started writing a sex column about 11 or 12 years ago, and I started teaching workshops about sex and sexuality. And then after workshops, people started asking me if I offered therapy and Mm. I was waiting tables at the time and I was pretty tired of doing that. And so six years after I graduated, I went back to grad school to get my degree in couples therapy. So the, the writing sex, like Venn diagram has always been like more of a full circle for me. So it always made sense to me to try to write a book. And then when I was, I found out by surprise that I was pregnant with my son and my agent reached out to me and was like, have you ever thought about writing a book or the person that would become my agent? And I was like, this is a shit storm, but yeah. I'm write <laughs> so the first writing uh, was the advice, advice column. Yes. Okay. Well, maybe before that, I I wrote freelance for some magazines. Okay. So you went uh, to college and you took this class and you recognized that um, while that was really interesting and also at the same time recognized that your own sex education was lacking, and so yeah. jumped right into. I want to say the advice column, but then jumped right into writing. Like, did you have to like retake your own sex ed class? Like, well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think that's sort of like part, like the introduction of the book talks a lot about like the context of sex ed in the States mm-hmm. and sort of like, and in other places as well. Like, I don't think anyone's like truly nailing it that well, except maybe the Dutch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, I, as a teenager, I was just sort of like my other peers was just kind of fumbling through all of this stuff. And I kind of came out on the other end of kind of like a not awesome relationship being like, I used to say like my little feminist guns were blazing. And I was like really upset about like 
how like women in particular, my age were being treated sexually. And I was like, this is stupid. So we, I like would bring all my friends to like the local clinic and we would like score free condoms and like go get tested and like read about sex and talk about it a lot. And like, I just kind of like drove those conversations a lot because I was interested Mm. because people weren't talking about it to us. And so I was trying to find the people that would talk to us about it. And so I think I was organically interested. And then when I got to college, a friend of mine and I were like chain smoking and being debaucherous together, like behind a dumpster somewhere. And she was like, Mm -hmm. you know, you should really talk to people about sex for a living. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's not real. And she was like, yes, it is. (laughs) You know, and she's like this person, this person, you know, like all these like sex expert people like Dr. Ruth or like Betty White or like whatever, Mm -hmm. like you could be these people. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm. Intriguing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. How do you like, you know, in, in terms of where you are now, looking back at, you know, the, the trajectory that you've taken, um, how do you feel about the work that you do? How do you feel about the space that you're in? Um, you know, especially yesterday we had a conversation about, um, you know, like the current state of affairs in the U.S. right now with like abortion rights and and just that whole fucking shit show. And I I it I I was so bummed out. It it just like it left me. I, I was feeling really uh, low yesterday after that conversation. So yeah. like in terms of where you are now and and looking at where you've come from and kind of looking ahead at the future, like how do you feel about the work that you do and and the space that you're in and the the state of I guess sex education today versus what it was when when you were um, when you were growing up. Mm. I mean, sadly, I don't think the state of sex ed today is all that different. I mean, mm. I think that youth, especially, have way more access to interesting sex ed content and can find things more easily. Like they're way more dialed in. Like I didn't have the internet in the palm of my hand in the same way that they do now. I think like Netflix, especially like when I go on Netflix and I just like see what's available, like the show sex education is awesome. Mm. They like just came out with a docu-series all about sex ed. That's really progressive. Like a lot of shows like build in examples of sex are a lot more realistic and communication forward. And I think that's awesome. Like every time I see stuff like that, I get happy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And also in the work that I do day to day with clients, it's so obvious that there's this crushing contextual, like doom space around sex and silence and like shame and people are getting more into a space of like being sexually free and accepting but it's still clashing up against all this stuff like you're saying like on the one hand we've got like hot girl summers and like everyone's calling everybody daddy and on the other Mm -hmm. hand like we're ripping abortion rights out right and left or we're like closing in on trans youth telling them that they can't get the care that they need and you're just like, what the fuck? You know, yeah. like, what is this? Yeah. And it, people... it, it, sorry, sorry. But yes, like I, I, ta- it, it, I, this is the first time I've thought about this. Like it does feel very chaotic. You know, you've mm-hmm. got, you've got, like you're saying, like these shows, sex education and, and these like these, you know, explained on sex or, or euphoria even, you know, these shows mm-hmm. that are like really progressive and, and talking about like sexual issues or gender issues from this like really, really, um, in, it, from like a really incredible point of view and, and, and vantage point. But, but at the same time, there's still that sort of like traditional sex ed that just is, is more, um, more like 
you know, like, like you've said uh, yourself, highlighting the negative, um, mm-hmm. which is, it, it, can you, can you talk about that a little bit? Like the, the difference between pleasure, positive sex education and, and traditional sex education? Yeah, I think that for me, at least pleasure, positive sex ed kind of looks at how focusing on pleasure and sex, like feeling good actually folds in a lot of what traditional sex ed is trying to drive at when they're talking about negativity. So like an example is like, I teach consent classes for like teenagers. I also teach them at colleges, but the teens are the ones that tend to get them the most. Um, and in those consent classes, instead of traditionally, like when I show up, usually the boys in the room are like already sick of being there because they're kind of being set up to be like, you're the predator in the room. Everybody else needs to protect themselves from you. Like if you don't do this correctly, like you are bad. And like the other half of the room or the other portion of the room is like, if we don't do this correctly, like we're in trouble, we're in danger. And a lot of that is real and true. And like, it's important for people to know that. And also if that's the only frame of reference that young people have for sex and sexuality, that's not motivating, Mm. you know, like it's sort of motivating, but like not in this way where you're like, Hey, actually talking about sex and getting each other's permission and feedback and input actually makes your sex life good and Mm. like pleasurable and interesting and like fulfilling instead of it all just being like, if you don't do this, then this bad thing, you know? And like, I'm not saying that all sex ed classes are like trying to paint a positive vision of sex. because I think a plenty of them are not, but I do think that sometimes we like have these missteps around teaching sexual communication as like a preventative to badness instead of as like something that fosters pleasure and excitement and like growth. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like I feel like it's, it's kind of come up on the podcast uh, in the past, you know, in conversations that we've had where the notion of consent is obviously so important, right? Consent is, is important. It is necessary. It is, you know, it is like the peak of the focus of, of any time engaging in, in sexual activity. But, but I feel like the, what I'm hearing you say, and, and what I also, what I also feel deep down is like, there's, there's almost this lack of, um, this lack of, of communication around how consent is not just that, but it's also extraordinarily sexy. Mm-hmm. Like consent is hot. When when everybody that is involved in sex is is like giving an a, like a, a you know resounding hell yes to the to the to the moment like that is that's very sexy. Mm-hmm. But there's there doesn't seem like it, it's I feel like it's rare that you hear that kind of messaging about like how mm-hmm. how attractive and and engaging and like beautiful and hot consent can be, and and you know more so we're hearing how you know, just like, just ram it down your throat that like consent is, it's, consent is important. You must have consent. It's like, there's almost a sort of, sort of like militant kind of mm-hmm. vibe to the way that we like shove consent down people's throats where, where it's, it, it, it's kind of, I guess it's just like semantics. Like, it's just like new content, but the same tone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. No, totally. And I think that's right. Like I, when I pitched the book, Um, You know, when you write a book proposal, they want to know who do you think your audience is and who will the book's audience be? And for me, I talked a lot about my audience being like people who understand like what you're saying, Jeremy, about like consent is important. Consent is sexy. Consent can be hot, but still they don't know how to make that connect. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like we're all like, yes, consent is good. Mm. <laughs> That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like I feel like most of us have gotten to that place. Yeah. But I think that there's still speaking as a therapist who also is a sex educator as a therapist. There's so many layers to that still around like, am I allowed to feel good in my body? Is it okay that the way I feel good in my body is this really specific way? Like, am I okay? Am I broken for wanting this thing? How do I register my partner's boundaries without it pushing on all my shame buttons Mm -hmm. and having this like cascade? Like if we don't agree on how we want things to go sexually, does that mean we're not compatible? How does that fold into how we communicate about sex? Like all this like really complicated relational stuff is embedded in our sex lives. And I think one of the earlier chapters, I talk about good sex as being a relational skill. It's Mm. not just like, I know how to split my legs in half and like do a pretzel thing. Like, it's like, (laughs) we need to be able to like peel back all this stuff and understand ourselves and each other and how we communicate and all this relational stuff that trickles into your sex life. Like I tell my clients all the time, your sex life isn't just like an island off the coast of your real life. Like it's a part of your whole life. Mm. So thinking about how like attachment plays into it or like um, um, evolutionary psychology and like how our, we're routed for like what we perceive as threats and how that trickles down into our sex lives. I don't know. I, it's just interesting to me. I want to hear more about those two like things that you just mentioned. But I also just before I forget, want to bring up that one thought that came to mind when we were just chatting there is that it must be, I would imagine from your side as a therapist, a very different experience in counseling a a single individual than a couple, because it seems to me like I become aware of, you know, my, my personal baggage or, or work or, or, I, I'm sure there's some work there, but I can't figure out what it is when I'm in a relationship. And uh-huh. I think, you know, if I had the chance to start over again, then then it would be so much, e- <laughs> so much easier. <laughs> but like trying to fit these like this is the thing that like I'm too scared to say that I'm very specifically interested in mm. inside a relationship that feels safe and secure and good enough mm-hmm. without having to try to figure out not only is it whether I can get that from the relationship, but, but is that even what I actually want in all, mm-hmm. or do I just need to say it out loud and see what the response is? So I guess I just wanted to put it in your hands as a therapist to, to chat about the differences you see for people who come to you individually versus um, as a couple. But then I really want to talk about how it shows up in correlation with attachment. Are you going to bill her after this? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, the, the, uh, the urge to do couples therapy with you all is real. I have to fight all my instincts. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I the mean, second I get two people in a room, I'm like, let's talk. Well, I mean, that's why we started this podcast. That's right. Free therapy, baby. <laughs> you figured it out. One offs only though. One offs only. Yeah. We have. We've been picking away at our at our individual and couple <laughs> issues over the last five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice. Well, I I like to sort sort of uh, just to kind of get, give this a little bit of a um, uh, little bit of guidance, and I think in the in the direction of where you were kind of hoping to take it. There, I know that you do a lot of workshops, and and um, one of the things that um, you know we we've we've been talking about sex edu- education and 
And like the differences between like pleasure positive sex education or the, the, the traditional sex education that, that most of us have come up with that, that sort of focus on the negative. Um, in terms of the workshops that you do for like for young, younger folks, you know, college students or like, you know, younger adults. Um, one of the things that I'd really love to kind of dive into is uh, less about less about consent, but more about like just the overall communication tools that we can implement and that we can use when trying to communicate with our partner about the things that we want or the things that we need or, or you know, because I find that um, even myself, I find myself, I, I struggle with that um, even today, like in, 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 in after having, you know, um, tricked a bunch of, you know, Therapist. sex therapists to come on the show and, and, <laughs> and talk to us. Um, so I, I know that like y- you just mentioned uh, attachment and, mm-hmm. and I'd, I'd like to kind of um, open the floor to you to kind of give us a little bit of insight into what, like, what is attachment style mm-hmm. and, and how does that, how does that influence how someone, you know, acts around their, their, their partner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I'll probably answer all of your questions in one whack. Okay, I think great. they all overlap, Sweet. I think, but Sweet. tell me if that's wrong. Um, so the idea with attachment styles essentially is that like when we're little tiny baby blobs, like if we don't get what we need from the people taking care of us, like we'll literally die. Yeah. Mm. So we figure out any way we can as little tiny baby blobs to get what we need from our caregivers. So for some baby blobs, that's like, I scream and cry until you like, can't take it anymore. And you attend to me. For some kids, it's like I stay quiet and out of the way and wait for you to come to me so I don't push you away with my needs. Mm. For some people, it's a little bit of both. Like there's all these ways that we learn very early on how to get what we need out of a relationship. And it's very wired in our bodies and our brains as a way to survive. So this is a survival mechanism. Mm. On top of that, we are pack animals, right? So there's all this all of these studies have shown that if we are in total isolation, we do not do well physically, mentally, emotionally, any of that, we will just like wither away. Mm. So we are, we're pack mentality people. So those two things can really collide in your relationship and in your sex life, because I give this example in the book. I, I think this is the example I give, but it's sort of like, if I'm like really into leather and I don't know if my partner is me saying like, I'm really into leather. This is something I really want. That is like a huge risk kind of behind the scenes, because if I threaten my connection to the person that I've decided is like key to my pack connection, then requesting something that might cause a split, especially if it has anything to do with shame, if my partner's repulsed, if I'm not sure how Mm. it's going to go, or even if they're just like, I'm not into that. This is like a big schism for us then I'm threatening my connection mm. and in your brain and your body, you're threatening your survival, which is kind of wild. Cause I think like off the cuff being like, I'm really into leather and my partner isn't everyone's like, who cares, you know, but like in reality, it's like connecting, it's hitting all these points. So like relationally outside of your sex life, like if you've ever felt emotionally flooded, which is either you're like, so up, you're like yelling and vibrating and like mm. feeling chaotic or flooding also looks like you're so down that you're shut down. You're walking out. Mm. You're kind of like, I, yeah. that is your attachment system is being activated by the other person pinging off of your narrative. Mm. And that's all rooted in other things. So the thing with learning about your attachment in a couples therapy setting 
is that you want to learn, like you can't really just like trade in your attachment style, but you can learn how to work with your attachment to create it as a more secure place and recognize when you're responding to the wrong thing. Mm. So like if I touch a hot stove and it burns me and my response is I'm never going near any kitchen appliance again, because it might burn me. That's really hindering my ability to like operate in my kitchen. Yeah. But it's like, if I can learn, okay, like what is actually a stove? What is actually just the fridge? Like, how did I deal with that time that I burned my hands? Like I can actually learn how to respond and be in my kitchen in a different way. That's a lot easier for me and the people around me. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Are are these the the only two sort of attachment styles or is it more of a, a like a gradient. I imagine it is a gradient, but like, are those the two sort of classic ones that are echoed in I terms think like I, of like pursuant and avoidant? Yeah. I, for me, I mean, there's a bunch of different literature about like attachment styles. Like if you're looking at like the people who like really coined attachment, mm-hmm. there's like anxious attachment, avoidant attachment, anxious, avoidant, disorganized attachment, like all of these terms, I like to think about it more on like a scale yeah. because mm. I think what unites attachment styles is anxiety yeah. and like how I respond to the anxiety of being potentially disconnected from my partner or my people is can look different ways in different people. And like, you just need to learn, like, how do we manage that anxiety so that we can be like, okay, like if we aren't agreeing, like we're going to be okay. Or like, Mm. am I like applying a narrative from an old relationship, whether that's romantic or from my family of origin, am I applying all this old shit to my current situation? And is that correct? Or is it expired? Or is part of it correct? The part of it isn't. And just taking a stab at this, I'm sure one of you is the flooded pursuer and the other one floods down, shuts down and like distances. Yeah. 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 But... But, <laughs> but it's opposite in your other relationship or previous other relationship, right? Because our whole thing used to be that like, yeah. I got to go. I got to like, I got to cool down. Yeah. And I could also never talk about this again and yeah. be, and just brush it under the rug. And know? I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Right now, right now, right now. But right. then yeah. in your other, so we, we have other um, significant partners as well. And in your in at least one other previous relationship, I remember you coming to me and being like, um, I get it. I get it. I get yeah. what you were doing there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, you know, it's funny that you're, you're right about that. I, I'm, I mean, so, so everything you're saying to me right now is like, is fucking resonating hardcore because I literally feel like I'm going through this today. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, and, and maybe I'm conflating the two, but, but maybe not, maybe there is some sort of connection here. Can you, is there, is there any, is there any crossover between this, this, um, this idea of attachment style and, and like, um, like the love languages, Mm. you know, like, like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a person who really needs, um, uh, physical touch and, and words of affirmation, but I'm also, I'm also a person who, um, gives those things like hardcore. Like Mm -hmm. I'm just constantly, I'm fucking constantly touching and holding and saying, I love you. Like it's just, you know, just drowning someone in fucking love and words. And, um, and so does that like, how do, how does, how do, if, 
Why are all. you pursuing me with all of that affection? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how, <laughs> like, like, do love languages kind of, kind of fall into or play into attachment style at all? I don't know the official word on this, like in terms of the people <laughs> sure. that have like written those books about those things. But if I were to take a guess, I think that people's love languages do indicate to you, like, do I feel secure here? Do I feel safe here? Are you attending to me? Are we connected? So like if my love language is acts of service on the receiving end, which is true, I love it when people like do shit for me. Mm. (laughs) I'm a very logistical person. I'm like, you go grocery shopping for me and you do it right. I'm like in. (laughs) (laughs) So like. If I'm receiving that, that means, and especially if it's not really that person's giving loving language, because we mm. give love and receive love in different ways. Usually if that person is doing that and going out of their way to do it, and it's not their natural mode, I'm like, Oh, you're really attending to me. Like mm. you are like, I feel secure here because you're seeing me. You see that I have a need and you're giving me the need that I feel like I need. Mm. Right. And if we're going back to like little baby blob theory, little baby blobs, like scream and cry until they get the bottle that they need that's like you being successful in like making that connection. Mm -hmm. I have to ask though, because of the physical touch thing being one of them and like, so I was looking at the different like, yes, no, maybe lists that you have on Uh on your website. Did you see the one in my book though? Oh no, I didn't get there. Okay. Because that is, it's a better one. one. It's (laughs) I think. (laughs) Because oh. I've never been super satisfied with the ones that are out there. No offense to the people that made those. I think they're great tools, but I was like so stoked to make my own. It was like when I knew yeah. I was writing the book, I was like, I know for sure I'm going to include this. It's also illustrated, which I find very charming. Mm. What is one of those things that you were like, this is definitely going in. I haven't seen it anywhere else. Mm. I mean, everything because my brain is a unique <laughs> creature. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, I was really excited to do the SMA list for sure. And I like, I worked with my illustrator really closely to create like different diagrams to like visually portray like loftier therapy concepts that I went to school for a million years for Okay, to try to like digest it and make nice shoe, man. Uh, (laughs) Digest it and make it a little more accessible to people. Yeah. Okay. Cause one of the ones that I looked at quickly (laughs) when I was just quickly looking at your website, um, one of the first things was, you know, I, you know, my partner expresses affection to me without like checking or like without Mm. asking. Mm -hmm. And that is just such, it seems like such a small thing that probably like slid on under my radar for 20 years of having relationships. And then at one point it will actually at the beginning of COVID, um, and I don't know whether it was COVID or my like my dad passing away or both of those things, but I suddenly became intolerable of mm. any sort of like coming in for a hug. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put my arm around you. Just like that changed really drastically. And now, you know, it's a couple of years have gone by and I'm thinking about, about, uh, about, yeah, like when someone offers you love, in a way that you, you know, someone makes you a cup of tea or goes groceries, grocery shopping for you. That might like maybe annoy you if you're not, if that's not the way that you receive love. Mm -hmm. But with when it, when we get now to, you know, physical contact being a language of love, then we have this whole other consent piece Mm -hmm. that seems Mm -hmm. to become really important. Um, 
like can you do can you have that love language without the other without the other skill you know yeah I mean I think like on a basic level communication is like I send a message and you receive the message that I intended to send Mm -hmm. so like if I'm sending you this message like I love you so much and the way that I do that is like pinching your butt in the kitchen Mm -hmm. and that's like not your jam like I should know that like you should be able to tell me like that's not the message I'm receiving what I'm receiving is like you know like invading my space or like whatever yeah yeah Yeah, so I think and I think like you're saying certain things will shift that like you're the one that's sort of like avoidant typically yeah Yeah. (laughs) so I wonder sorry I'm getting over laryngitis I lost my voice for eight days oh wow there's a whole thing I know um So if you're typically the avoidant person, you know, like something like your dad dying or COVID happening might activate your like safe place, which is like away at an arm's length, right? Like you're like, I don't feel safe when you're uber close to me. So like maybe when I'm feeling safer, I have a higher tolerance for that kind of affection. And when I'm not feeling as safe, I have a lower tolerance. And the way that you can love me is to just like back the fuck up, (laughs) you know? Wow, that would have been such a way better way of dealing with that situation than the way I actually did. <laughs> um, what is um, what is autonomous change? I've actually never heard that uh, that that phrase before. Did I just say that phrase? No, you didn't. Uh, I'm just I, I'm I'm just I'm going I'm going through I'm kind of going through some of the stuff that you you speak to young adults and 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 speak to at colleges and. Okay. Uh, and autonomous change is one thing where I was like, what the fuck They're is like, that? They're like, pop quiz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just in my head. I was like, did I just say the word autonomous change? Because I don't remember saying that. Um, <laughs> sorry, what's your question? What is autonomous yeah, change? Yeah, what, what does that mean? And, and how does that, how does that um, play into relationships? So in a book, I write a lot about this concept of differentiation. Have you ever heard of that? Mm, no. Differentiation? differentiation the long therapy jargon word okay (laughs) um it was like coined in the 50s by dr murray bowen he's like the father of family therapy and essentially and this is where all my illustrations really come in handy my illustrator made a bunch of venn diagrams to explain this nice and clean and easy but the idea with differentiation in a couple system is that like sometimes when we start having a relationship we're in this like symbiotic phase So some other couples therapists, Ellen Bader and Peter Pearson, they came up with this developmental model of couples therapy, which is kind of like, I'm going to be like ping ponging between those two people. Okay. Um, So in the developmental model, they talk about all relationships going through predictable phases. And this has to do with differentiation. So in the start of a relationship, we really want to pare down our differences and like, be like, yes, look at us. We're so similar because I like you, you know, and this might look like, I'm not super into baseball. You invite me to a baseball game. I'm like, oh my God, this is so fun. You're so great. You invite me to another one. I go to another one. Five years deep into our relationship, we get season tickets every year and I'm like fucking over it. And I don't want to go to baseball. It is not a big part of my life. It doesn't mean anything to me. But at this point, it means something to my partner and their relationship. And maybe they went to baseball games with their dad or like whatever. It's significant to them. I have more or less pretended like it was significant to me, not intentionally, but as a bonding activity. And now I want to move away from that. And so when I start moving away from that, my partner gets activated because they're like, oh my God, you're like, we're distancing and my attachment shit is getting triggered. Mm. And I want you to be closer to me. So I might try to reel you in. You might try to re-distance. And 
it's going to cause like some chaos. So that's like the differentiation phase is realizing like, oh, we're actually different. No couple is like going to be in that limerence phase forever where we're like, we're amazing. We're like the most unique couple on the planet. Like we have so much in common. Like a lot of people feel that way Mm. at the start of a relationship. Of course. And most of the time it's not a lasting stage and you're going to have to learn how to manage your differences. Mm -hmm. That's usually when people come into couples therapy. (laughs) Mm. That's what we work with. So in thinking about autonomous change, we have to think about like, how do I shift the way that I'm behaving in this relationship that honors what I need and what my boundaries are and who I am without completely ditching my person Mm. or causing them a great amount of anxiety? And then also how does that person manage their anxiety about this change and this shift. So in terms of the Venn diagrams, it's like we start as overlapping circles. We want to move a little bit so that we're more well-balanced and I'm on one side, you're on one side and our relationship's in the middle, but our relationship isn't dominating. Mm. That's inspiring. That was a long answer. No, it's no, really, it, was, it was perfect. It yeah. is. It's perfect. And it, because, you know, especially when you mentioned like that five-year point, I'm at that point in my other relationship and and I just know that that there's other people in our lives and probably listeners who are listening to this who who get to that point and we used to get a lot of emails from those people who'd be like how do I know if this relationship is over because that that seems Mm, like what you're describing is like probably before people get to therapy a crisis point it's like well Mm -hmm. I'm I guess this relationship isn't for me anymore if this is the case. But right. I love what you're saying in terms of, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe there's nothing wrong with the glomming on that we do in the beginning and and the parent like shoving our differences, you know, sweeping them under the rug, you know, at, at, at different perspectives of my life, I've looked back at relationships and been like, how could I have lost myself? you know, mm-hmm. in that, in that relationship, how, like, where did I go? And I, and the only way to find it again is to, to get away from this person. And I, I bet there's a lot of relationships that just end there. Mm. And upon reflection, looking back going, did it, maybe there was a different way yeah. to have handled that where yeah. mm-hmm. I get to still be myself and, and with this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think like what I tell couples a lot, cause you're right. Like we get people a lot and by we, I mean, couples therapists, we get people that are in a crisis point often. Yeah. I like to try to get people before that point. Yeah. <laughs> they say that like the average couple waits like seven years to go to couples therapy and that's too long. Yeah. Um, I really like getting people at like the three year mark or <laughs> like mm. whatever. But I think like in those crisis points, when people are like, like you're saying, like I've lost myself, how do I find myself? The only way I feel like I can find myself is to get out of this and then jump into this next limerence phase where all of a sudden I'm being reflected back by this new person. And it's so exciting. And like, blah, 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 blah. Mm. And like, I work with a ton of non-monogamous clients also. So like I've had up to four people in the same room before with all of this shit ping ponging all over the place. And like, the idea is like, even in non-monogamous relationships, that tendency can pop up where you're like, I'm going to bounce and like, get a new person on board or like, here's another new person. Like I can like, I can just do whatever I want. And like, all of that is like the same version of avoidance. Mm. And the reality is what I tell my clients is like, your baggage is yours and you're going to carry that shit to the next place too. So you can either work on that baggage in the context of this relationship, 
or you can work on it in the context of your next relationship, but it's yours. So like, I don't personally believe that like if couples break up, that means they've failed. I don't personally believe that the goal of couples therapy is to keep everyone together no matter what. I think the goal is to make sure like coming back to autonomy that everyone's like really on board with what they're signing up for, even if it's hard. Mm. And like, if you're really on board for that, then awesome. If it's not right for you anymore and you need to go and you have like really dug into all of your reasons why, then that's successful couples therapy too, to me. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm I'm curious about like communication tools when it comes to these sorts of things, you know. So like, I I I definitely don't want to speak for for everyone because I I know for for sure I'm speaking on behalf of myself uh, <laughs> when I say that like when these types of things come up in a relationship, whether it be <laughs> you know uh, sort of clashing a clashing of of attachment styles or um you know like the 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 uh, honeymoon phase kind of like dwindling and, and autonomous change becoming a differentiation becoming a thing. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it, I, I noticed that, um, when those things happen, like, um, I, I see those things happening. Uh, maybe I don't, maybe I don't conceptualize exactly what it is that's happening. And so I, I want to like, I want to figure it out and I want to talk about it and I want to communicate like what's going on here. How can we, how can we navigate this? And then, you know, in trying to talk about those things, um, I've, I've had the experience a lot in the past where like it almost feels like it's just fucking exhausting because mm-hmm. it's like the only thing we're ever fucking talking about. And it's like, what happened to what happened to just existing together where we we aren't constantly trying to work through this thing that that this this like this wedge between us. And so I guess my question is like, um, you know, what are what are some of the like communication tools that partners can use to 
to kind of navigate the desires or the needs that they need more directly with their partner without it coming across as like, um, as exhausting or without it coming across as like, you know, as, as like, like bullying or, or sort of, sort of forcing the conversation. Um, like how, how, what are, what are like key ways to communicate these needs in in a really healthy way where, where you're not just like beating a dead horse? <laughs> in this question, are you the person that beats the dead horse or Fuck are you the yeah. dead horse? Oh my God. <laughs> just like with, you're a, the with, a, with a bat, like just constant. Yeah. yeah. Because I think like when people are exhausted by their patterns, it's because they're trying something that's not working and they keep doing it over and over again. And that's exhausting. And I think like when we digest like couples cycles in therapy, we can really like, you can actually draw out what people's cycles are, like draw it out on paper, right? You can be like, I do this and you do this. I feel this way. Therefore I act this way. You feel this way. Then I act this way. And you can like see how it goes. Yeah. And then you can actually like visually be like, okay, what's the easiest place to break this? Because there might not be, it might not be easy to break like a long standing trigger. It might be easy to break how you react to it just even for 10 minutes and see how that works. Because the way that I explain it to couples in my office is like, you're trying to walk through a doorway, but you're just like banging your head against the wall, like next to it. And if you just took like a step to the left, you would get through it. Mm. But it's like, what is that left step? Yeah. You know, so I think like in your cycle, like this would have to be more catered to what your actual cycle is. Like, I don't know if I have a sweeping statement on how to handle that frustration, but I think if you're someone who's the anxious pursuer and you're over here beating the dead horse, put the fucking bat down and like, take a break. Right. So like, what does that look like to you? Yeah. That could look like, okay, how do I soothe my own anxiety about needing to solve this problem right fucking now? Yeah. Cause that's where that attachment anxiety comes from. It's like, if we solve it, then we are okay. And then I don't have to be afraid of being alone, abandoned without you, whatever this deep fear is. Can I manage that reactivity so that when we do have a conflict, it's like, okay, we have a conflict. Yeah. Does it have to be resolved today? Maybe not. Could it be yeah. resolved when we've like slept, eaten, had sex, done something nice for ourselves, exercised? Can we solve it after that? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Cause I think that relentless like hamster wheel is like, you're trying to find that connected solution Yes. and you're actually working against yourself Yes. because you're like, I want to connect. I want to connect. I want to connect. And your distancing partner is like, get the fuck away from me. Yeah. yeah and you yeah. actually need to do the opposite and just like step back. Yeah. But it's like, or your distancing partner needs to do you a solid and step forward. But you can't like do that if you're both like still going in the same direction all the time. Right. It's funny because I can see it just seems like folks without a therapist have like such a lower chance of success when I think about this, because these are patterns that must must be everyone must have their own pattern of this in some kind of way. And, Mm. you know, like to try to, to try to get, you know, I've said it so many times to various partners. It's like, we've done everything that we can do on our own. Mm -hmm. Like there's, we need new information because Mm -hmm. we're just cycling through the same, the same stuff over and over again. And uh, like Jeremy and I have experienced couples therapy, Mm -hmm. but I've never had it in any of my other relationships. No, same. And you know, it definitely, I like, I think we definitely got through some stuff in that experience. Yeah. 
Um, and good old Roger. Good old Roger. Where, hey, is, he now? where is he now? That fucking guy. I think we just stopped going one we day. We did. Yeah, we just we just never <laughs> checked like, in. Up and we're <laughs> Yeah. Um. But but yeah, I just. What are your thoughts on that? Because therapy's not accessible for everybody yeah. financially. Mm-hmm. It's really like you know. It's, there are a lot of barriers to access for for. Therapy yeah, I can't it. afford me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I really yeah. can't. Yeah. <laughs> so what? When when it comes to your book, let's say, because you've just like dropped, like I think I've had a number of like small aha moments, and you, I've heard you say things in ways I've never heard them said before mm-hmm. that seem so clear. Um, Thank you. You know, if people can't afford to, you know, access your therapy, or or you know, it's because we're in Canada and you're in the U.S. Are there <laughs> are there is reading books the next best thing we can do and and what what is it you hope that people will take from the book I mean I have told people that you know the book sells for around 17 dollars here which is a lot cheaper than an hour with me and Mm -hmm. definitely a lot cheaper than a weekly hour with me um which was part of my goal was to kind of create this like self-led map like I really tried to lay it out as if someone was working with me in the room and like where I, how I would walk a weekly couple or individual through the work that I do with people. Mm. So that was definitely part of the goal. And that's why there's worksheets and things that I think will make some of them more like loftier, like talking points, a little more practical, mm. um, which was important to me. And I also am somebody who I, I don't think that therapists are like the end all be all for like self-reflection and self-growth. I think that that is like a toxic way that our industry has sort of positioned itself. And I think that culturally speaking, there are so many different ways to look at what relational health is and what a healthy relationship looks like and what a satisfying relationship looks like. And that there are like plenty of people that have been like monogamously married for like 50 years and like don't really talk and don't have sex anymore. And like fulfill their roles really specifically in their household. And they feel like that relationship is really successful Mm. and that is a successful relationship to them. And then there's people in my peer group who like the minute they're unhappy with something are like later days. And like, because they don't want to be uncomfortable for one more second. Mm. So I think that like how you define relational success is really different. And I think that if you do that kind of work, if you are unsatisfied with something or you do think there's something that can be improved, talking to a therapist is one way, reading books is another way, listening to podcasts is another way, talking to your priest, talking to your friends, talking to your mom, going on a meditation retreat, like whatever. All these things you. are ways that people shift themselves. Mm. And I think that if we look toward, you know, an industry that is highly educated creates a lot of barriers to access. Like there are more barriers to accessing becoming a practicing therapist than I even knew there were. Mm. And we're relying on those people to like lead us to some kind of insight. I don't think that's really fair. And I don't think that that's really the way it should be. Mm. So I think like, and again, like Instagram, like I'm pretty active on my Instagram and I have this huge network of sex and relationship educators on Instagram. And there's only so much you can convey on Instagram but it is food for thought. Like it does cause people to shift into different ideas. Mm. And I think that's a little more accessible. I don't know. I just like, I'm not super into this like traditional therapy world where it's like, I'm going to fix you Mm. (laughs) from my ivory Mm. tower because like 
I paid a bunch of money to an institution that told me I could like it just <laughs> yeah. feels like that's not really the way but it sounds to me like you probably came into this with some fairly natural listening skills and communication skills and I think when people are drawn to certain fields um that where they invest all their time and all their money in sort of learning as much as they can, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't love, I'm, I'm studying massage therapy right now. And my, you know, my ultimate goal is to go on to osteo and I keep thinking about helping people. And then I think about the people who will have access to my help and how to like straddle that line between like, well, I do actually value my education and I do think I learned some things that I couldn't have just like picked up casually on my own and then had the same kind of effect on people's lives. Um, but I, I want to, I want to help the people who need it the most and like, where, where are we going to meet up like mm -hmm. in this <clears throat> system that yeah. we exist in? I mean, I think it is like, like you're saying, like, it's not like, it's not like I went to graduate school and was like, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> like that would be pretty narcissistic <laughs> me to be like, I already knew all this shit. Um, I do think that like, well, first of all, I have to say I was not born with innate listening skills. Okay. The things that I do professionally are very counter to my personal life, which I think like, if you've ever heard the phrase, the cobbler's kids have no shoes. Oh, no, mm. but I like it. It's like every time, like I get in some kind of an argument with a partner where like, I'm a human being, like I have attachment trauma and baggage and all my fucking toxic bullshit too, you know? And it's like, I will get activated when I'm in a conflict with someone that I find essential to my emotional livelihood, mm. but the people in my office are not those people. I'm like professionally detached from those people. They're hiring me to give them a service and they're hiring me to take what I learned in school and apply it to their lives. That's what they're paying me to do. Mm. And so like I show up in that room much differently, but I always make jokes. I don't know how into astrology you are. I like it. I'm an Aquarius. <laughs> I'm a Pisces. <laughs> okay. I'm a Capricorn. You? Yay. Yeah. We love Capricorn. <laughs> he doesn't Very believe in any of it. Yeah. No, I do believe well, in it. I, I do Can now. I tell you something about Capricorns though? <laughs> yes. Classic. Not believing in astrology. Is Capricorn. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> All the Capricorns I know are like... <laughs> They you know, it's funny. They're like, I, I whatever, but I'm yeah, yeah. the best. That's right. I say uh -huh. that, but then I go and I read all my fucking moon signs and <laughs> yeah. whatever they are. And I go, oh, yeah, this is all very true. Very, very true. Yeah. So as an Aquarius, we tend to be very like emotionally shut down, walled off, cagey. We're like not good at emotions. Okay. And so like I always joke that like I don't know who let me be a therapist because it's just <laughs> like it's so counter to like I'm not very good at being vulnerable I learned so much through working with clients, just like about my personal self. But I think I am really good at holding that space for other people, you know, because mm. I don't have to do it. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like to. boundaries to me. Exactly. I'm like, this is me <laughs> catering this experience to you. Also, I came to therapy by way of sex ed. So it wasn't like I was like, my dream is to like, whatever. I do very specialized work with like kink, non-monogamy, sex. Those are like my fields that I'm really into. Mm -hmm. I don't do a lot of like run of the mill therapy stuff. Right. Um, what was your question? 
the access? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. If oh, so it. I think like accessing your work, right? Like a $17 book cheaper yeah. than an hour. I also, this is might be kind of boring and off topic for you, but as, from a business side of things, I offer sliding scales for people. A lot of those sliding scales are identity-based. I have pro bono spots. The people that can pay a lot, do you pay a lot? The people that can't, don't. And like that to me is how I've built in access for mm. people into my space. But um, yeah, you know, there's always like ways to offer your content for free to people on the internet and things like that. Hey, Brad, so, you just need to write a book on how to osseo yourself. How to, well, you know, you I do. Self-massage. I think, I think I do those little workshops. You do. And I do yeah. do those kinds of things. And you teach me how to I'll, massage myself. And I'll continue and yeah. I will continue to do those things. Um, uh, again, folks, the, the book is Hot and Unbothered, How to Think About, Talk About, and Have the Sex You Really Want. Uh, it is available right now for pre-order. I highly, highly suggest you pick it up because if you have been listening, listening to this fucking podcast, then there's no doubt in my mind that you feel the same way that I feel about this book, which is that I need this book in my hands way sooner than August. So uh, place your pre-order right now. You can pre-order it uh, in the United States and you can pre-order it in Canada. I have it lined up right now in my Amazon cart um, and I'm about to place that order. So uh, go get yourself the uh, pre-order copy of the book. Um, Yana, this, uh, the, you're amazing. This is great. I, I honestly, I, I, I'm, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'd love to have you back on the show at some point in the future. Sure. You're, you're, you're a lovely guest. Um, I'm so excited about the book and Thank I'm you. just so grateful that we've, we've had a, a moment to connect and to take time out of your busy schedule to sit you down and to get a little bit of a free therapy session. Um, <laughs> and, and Hey, you know, if you're, if you're going to bill us, I'm not going to be mad at it. Uh, I understand. <laughs> Uh, this has been really great, Yana. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. How can people find you? How can people stay, um, uh, you know, stay up to date with what you're doing? How can people pre-order the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, thank you for having me. First of all, I'm not going to bill you, but I'll keep that in mind <laughs> if things get challenging. Um, so I am mostly on Instagram. My handle is at the underscore V spot V like vagina. Um, I'm very much on Instagram. The other ones I'm kind of on, I'm kind of on Twitter. I like have a TikTok account. I don't use it. Um, my website is yanatellenhicks.com, which is where people can pre-order the book. Check my therapy offerings out. If you are in the States, especially in Vermont or Massachusetts, keep up with the workshops I'm doing. Email me, read the column. It's all right there. Yeah. And folks, like, just so you know, Yana is followed by Esther Perel. So that (gasps) says something. Wow. I just want to say thank you for pointing that out because <laughs> Esther has been following me for years. She was like one of the first people I think to follow. I had got wow. Instagram kind of later than other people did. So she's like been following me for like six or seven years. Wow. And that is like my crowning achievement because yes. she doesn't want to be Esther. Me? Yes. Who does not want to be Esther? Oh if she God. followed me, I'm good. I'm yeah. good. I'm. That's it. it totally. the, the day that's pro fall, I, I get that notification. I'm checking out. I'm going. Life. Get rid of all your other followers. I'm just done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Block no. Them. Every time I post a little selfie with me and my dog, I'm like, "This is for you, Esther." <laughs> yeah. I hope that you like this. It's well, all in favor of Esther. <laughs> that's a huge. Well, again, I put that on the resume. Thank you so much, Yana. This has been really, really fun. Thanks.
Well, hello there. Well, hi. Uh, that, uh, man, that conversation with Yana. Mm-hmm. I took, I had some takeaways. I had a lot. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, I had a lot. And, it, you know, it's, it was a lot, of, uh, a lot of takeaways that I... So I went to Toronto with my new partner mm-hmm. uh, this weekend. Mm-hmm. Lovely trip. Amazing time. Mm-hmm. Even though the reason I was going there was to see my favorite podcast and they canceled the day before we left. What? I didn't know that they canceled. Oh, I didn't tell you? No. COVID fucked it. Oh, shit. That's why I dropped acid and went to uh, Cirque du Soleil instead. Oh, uh, that's what happened. Well, I assumed you could have done both. Yeah, so um, uh, that was a bummer, but it ended up being a lovely trip. And uh, but on that trip, I was thinking a lot about attachment styles. Uh huh. And I was like, "Fuck, man! I never thought about this, but like, I am most certainly uh, one of those anxious, preoccupied attachments." Okay. Yeah. What what what's meant by the preoccupied part? Like well, you're preoccupied so- with your. So, yes, we, we kind of like briefly touched on it in the conversation, but uh, so I, I got an article here. Adult attachment styles, definitions and impacts on re- relationships. So um, attachment is a deep emotional bond between two people. The idea was pioneered by John Bowlby, uh, but his attachment theory, uh, as well as Mary Ainsworth's idea about attachment styles, mostly focused on the relationship between infant and an adult caregiver. Since Bowlby... Introduced the concept, psychologists have extended attachment research into adulthood. This research has led to the specification of four adult attachment styles, among other findings. So um, there, there are a few attachment styles. So um, there's secure attachment. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one that I would like want to strive for. Right. Secure attachment. Those who have a secure attachment style score low on both anxiety and avoidance. That sounds like a good thing to score low on. Yeah. They trust that those they have a close relationship will be there to offer support and security when needed and are Mm -hmm. prepared to offer security and support when their partners need it in return. Mm -hmm. They find it easy to open up in relationships and are good at articulating what they want and need from their partners uh, they are they are confident and optimistic about the relationships and tend to find them stable and satisfying. I'd love to be that person. That sounds nice, right? It sounds like a like cruising through life, yeah. kind of. And it's funny because like I've had, <laughs> I feel like these, I feel like this this attachment style. I don't know enough about it because I I really don't know shit. But I feel like we kind of like we go in and out mm. of these things of um and maybe some people just like are secure attachment and that's it. Yeah. But I feel like there's moments where I am. But yeah. then there's definitely moments where I'm not. Yeah. And so this is the one that speaks to me the most. Anxious, preoccupied attachment. And this is like speaking to me the most as of recently. Okay. Like over the last couple of years. Okay. I feel like I've somehow found myself slotted into this. Okay. Those with an anxious, preoccupied attachment style are high on the anxiety dimension, but low on the avoidance dimension. These individuals have difficulty trusting their partner's commitment to them. Because they are more pessimistic and worried about their relationships, they often need reassurance from their partners and will create or overemphasize conflicts. Mm -hmm. They may also have issues with jealousy. As a result, the relationships are often tumultuous. So there's a few things in there that really stick out to me. Right. Which is the, like, having difficulty trusting commitment from my partner. Okay. And needing reassurance mm-hmm. 
which then in turn just like overemphasizes and sort of creates conflict. Yeah. Then there's the demissive, uh, sorry, dismissive avoidant attachment. Okay. Which I feel like this is probably a little bit of you. <laughs> Those with dismissive avoidant attachment style are low in the anxiety dimension, but high on the avoidance dimension. People with this kind of attachment style are often aloof and emotionally distant in relationships. They may claim they fear commitment. Uh, these individuals may seek to assert their independence by delving into individual activities like work, hobbies, or social activities that don't involve their significant others. They may come across as focused only on themselves and may have passive aggressive tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> it started to sound more like me as you went on. <laughs> and, then, and then there's feel, fearful avoidant. So you've got... Um, uh, dismissive avoidant and yeah, fearful avoidant. I wonder about this because I don't think of myself as aloof or emotionally distant. Right. Yeah, right. As in the dismissive. Yeah. So those are the fearful avoidant attachment styles are high on both anxiety and avoidance. <laughs> this sounds awful. Oh, shit. This one sounds fucking terrible. Uh, these individuals both fear and desire intimate relationships. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so scared of them and I want them so badly. Uh, on, on the one hand, they want the support and security that comes from having a significant other. On the other, they worry their significant other will hurt them and at other times feel uh, stifled by the relationship. As a result, people with a fearful avoidant attachment style can be inconsistent towards their partners from day to day and their ambivalent <laughs> attitude can lead to chaos. That actually, unfortunately, sounds, that sounds like you. Sounds kind of like Oh, me. no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I was thinking a lot about that. I was thinking a lot about like how these attachment styles like play into my life and, and where I sit in there and the, the, the anxious avoidant or, uh, sorry, anxious, uh, uh, preoccupied is, mm. is definitely, I think where I stand the most. Um, and the impact of attachment styles on romantic relationships, it says research has demonstrated that attachment in adult, adult, Romantic relationships function similarly to attachment in infant caregiver relationships. Although adults don't have the same needs as children, studies have shown that adults with secure attachment look to their partners for support when they're upset, just as secure infants look for their caregivers. Research has also demonstrated that although adults with a fearful avoidant attachment style may act defensive, they are still emotionally aroused by conflicts with their significant other. On the other hand, people with dismissive avoidant attachment can suppress their emotions towards a significant other in this sense avoidance acts as a defense mechanism that helps the individual alleviate the pain brought about by relationship difficulties and sorry that's it that's avoidant which which i don't think i am i'm, no. I'm the anxious yeah because like i like i i find I'm, i find myself constantly being like you know i i i have this feeling right now and maybe it's just because you know i've had two relationships in the in the recent past that have like ended and you know like i didn't necessarily want them to end mm -hmm. but they had to mm -hmm. and i just had this thought like while i was on this trip i had this thought like oh man maybe i'm just like maybe i'm just bound to be temporary mm. forever wow and that yeah and that that was that was a hard it was a hard pill to swallow. I don't think you're bound to be temporary. No, I don't think I am either. I was having a moment. Okay. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good. I don't think that. It was just, it was like, you know, when sometimes you like, you stew on something for long enough, then you start to fucking like create a story. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's that was my story. Of my that was my story. It was just like, I'm, I'm, reality. I'm temporary. I'm just a temporary, <laughs> like, 
you know? Yeah. I was like, I'm, ex- I'm the idea of me is exciting. Right. And then once you get used to me, yeah, it's not like, it's, it's not very exciting anymore. It's kind that. of fucking annoying. I've kind of said that about myself, actually. Yeah. Like, I think, I think the idea of being with me is kind of fun, but. But then once you're in it, you're like, Jesus, get, well, this is fuck. I can't handle this shit. Yeah. 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 Well, you know what? I wasn't going to read this, but um, it kind of reminded me of what you're just So I have this stack of books that I'm trying to get through on my desktop. I've plowed through two of them. One of them is, um, I think it's called The Woman in the Window. There's like a movie that's based on it uh, with Amy Adams. Anyway, it's a thriller. And I needed a page turner for bedtime, so I had that one. And I had this one that I'm holding in my hand called Loving Bravely, 20 Lessons of Self-Discovery to help you get the love you want by Alexandra H. Solomon, PhD. I talked about this book a couple of weeks ago. Um, and it hasn't been getting as much time in my hands. Mm. Um, and then the other one that I'm like obsessed with, and I read it in the morning when I wake up, is Quiet. And it's, uh, if, you've, if you've heard of it or if you've read it, then you obviously know it, but it's about the power of introversion. Okay. And it keeps bringing, it talks like pretty um, in this language of like not highly sensitive persons, but high reactivity babies versus like low reactivity babies. And basically they're talking about studies where the high reactivity babies are like, they react really strongly to like loud sounds or like stimulation or, you know, they're, they're, you know, I kind of, get the low reactivity babies are less likely to, you know, be overstimulated by small things. Yeah. And, and these high reactivity babies turn into more generally more introverted uh, kids mm. and the lower reactivity babies end up being more extroverted. Huh. So, you know, they, it takes more That's stimulation. I would have thought it would be the other way. No, cause it takes more stimulation it takes a lot of stimulation for the low reactivity babies to like get engaged with it. And a lot of stimulation overwhelms the high sensitivity sensitivity baby. Ah, yes. Okay. They want less stimulation. Right. Right. You know, anyway, so plan through that book. I'm reading, I'm reading about it. I'm learning a lot, but anyway, the one I had in my hand, you know, I recognize I got to return it to the library and, um, and I was like, what okay, are the well, late fees these days? There's no late fees. They don't exist. Oh, so you don't have to give it back. No, I don't. I don't have to give it back. But there comes a point where you recognize you're not going to read the book that right. you took out. Yeah, and right. maybe you should bring it back. Right. Um, and so yet last night I was like, okay, I'm going to get ready to return this. Maybe I'll just crack it open and see what page it lands on. And it landed on a little practice uh page called about about apologizing okay and it kind of brings up it kind of seems related to the attachment theory that you just chatted about yeah so i'm going to read you a little bit okay um i'm going to open with this this so this book again is called loving bravely this is chapter or lesson 16 called practicing uh practice a loving i'm sorry and it starts with a roomy quote beyond our out beyond our ideas of right doing and wrong doing there is a field i'll meet you there 
So beyond our ideas of right and wrongdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. Okay. Okay. So it tells a story about uh, Kevin who's, um, he's, okay, it's been seven weeks since Kevin's foot surgery. Although he's no longer in a cast, he isn't able to walk or drive. His partner, Matt, has picked up a lot of slack around the house. And with two full-time jobs and two little kids, there's plenty of slack. One morning after helping Kevin get into the tub, Matt grabs his shaving cream. Ugh, Matt groans. What is this crust all over my shaving cream? Kevin fires back loudly. If you have such a huge issue with me using your shaving cream, drive your butt to the store and buy another can. Yeah, you fucking idiot. (laughs) Matt puts his razor and shaving cream down on the counter and turns to face Kevin. Excuse me? You heard what he said. Kevin takes a deep breath. So I'm Kevin in this situation. Okay, this is something. This is about me. Okay. Kevin Brighty takes a deep breath and his face softens. I'm sorry, Matt. It's not you. It's this, pointing to his foot. I'm so sick of being immobilized. I feel awful about how hard you've been working. I'm just so done of feeling like this. And Matt comes over and kisses the top of his partner's head. I know. I'm sick of it, too. We'll make it out alive. I promise. So that's me. And the pivotal point there is the uh, the I'm sorry that I did that. It's not you. It's this thing. It's this. I shouldn't have done that. It, yeah. It's this. You know? uh, it's this corn on my toe. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. It's this corn. This aching well, you don't corn need on to, my toe. You only tell the world that you have a corn. I do. I was googling it yesterday, <laughs> being like, "What's corn?" <laughs> um, and looking at images and diagnosing myself with a corn. I have a corn. Yeah, no need. It just says. Why do they call it corn, dude? I, that's, I hate corn. And then naming something like that a corn is even worse. It's so it's nasty. It's like a kernel. It's like a popcorn kernel just under my skin. Just call it a toe blister. It's not a blister. Call it a cystic blister. That's even better than a corn. I call it a cystic blister. Sure. Nobody yeah. has time for that. Hey. Nobody likes corn, the (laughs) food or the band. Nobody else knows about it, so keep it to yourselves. Todd hasn't seen it yet. Everybody now knows. No, no, nobody knows. Yes, there are thousands of people listening right now (laughs) going, ew. Send me your corn (laughs) DIY tips. Um, Okay, so Kevin, like me, grew up in a family that didn't do accountability. People neither gave nor took in feedback about the impact of their words and actions of other people. Feelings got stuffed down inside and blow-ups were just swept under the rug. So that's where I came from. Right. Uh, The old story is, here's my old story, ready? If you are critical of me, I don't trust that you can also still love me and hold me in high esteem. The urge to explain, defend, and argue back or the frantic effort to be valued is still there inside me. Um, and then I'm going to go on to the field. We hurt those we love for all kinds of reasons. Looking at how we hurt people we love is really hard work. Kicking up incredibly uncomfortable feelings as we confront discrepancies between who we believe ourselves to be and who our actions suggest we are. If we're going to look at our hurtful behavior, we must do it in Rumi's field. Self-confrontation has to take place there. When it does, when we're able to look at the choices we make that hurt the people we love, unforeseen possibilities for self-understanding and self-compassion emerge. And from that gentle field of space, change can happen. The dialectic here is I am both worthy of gentleness and responsible for my impact on others. 
So I would lovingly hold myself accountable and rather than being bad or wrong, we can use language um, and, and basically reframe our hurtful behavior as forgetful or unskilled. Mm. I really like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. She says, she goes on to say that um, when we do something hurtful and our behavior is framed this way, the questions are totally different. They're no longer, am I a bad person? And why am I a bad person? The questions become, what is keeping me from remembering who I truly am and what is keeping me from treating my partner with love? Those latter questions are infinitely more helpful. They invite change. Um, so that, and then with I am unskilled, that really jumped out to me because it is a skill that you have to practice yeah. to become good at. And there's, it goes, she goes on in this chapter to, to kind of like talk about how when you frame, when you give your apology, you, you, so here, I think this is a really great handful of questions to ask. Um, okay. Hang on. Where did I miss it? I miss it somewhere. <laughs> Fuck. Anyway. You're on a roll there for a second. I was. I really was. La la la. Basically, when you offer your apology, you're then, you gotta, you kind of like, you have to sit with it and let go of it and it's no longer about them accepting your apology or uh like valuing you for apologizing it can't come with any sort of expectation of yeah you gotta let you you gotta drop your ego yeah yeah a hundred percent and and understand like sit with the discomfort of what it means to apologize and maybe not be forgiven right away yeah I mean, that's a little bit different, but like that's sort of something that I'm working through right now in this this discovery that I was making over the like vacation I was on. Yeah. Which is like recognizing, okay, I have this like attachment style that's probably not ideal. Mm-hmm. It's it's like full of anxiety and full of like doubt. And that's like self-doubt, you know, doubt of the of the of the situation. Mm-hmm fear of like of losing this person or like whatever you know whatever the fuck it is and then and this was kind of ties back to what yana was saying which is like you know and i was i was kind of trying to bait it out of her because when we were having that conversation with yana i was having these thoughts already and then she was saying this stuff and i was going oh fuck fuck that's me now like uh, help, i can't help, help, help. believe she called this out right away for oh, she, she, getting, she saw right through us yeah yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> you know one of the things that she was kind of like expressing was 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 you know if you have if you have two different attachment styles and they like butt up against each other um one is anxious and the other is like let's say avoidant or the or let's say the other is uh, secure right um like i find myself because of the anxious sort of um what is it anxious dependent no anxious uh attached uh anxious uh preoccupied oh anxious preoccupied <clears throat> my like go-to is to like okay we gotta talk about this now like let's talk about it now and and what can i do like how can i fix it what can i like what i fucked up maybe but like what do i what do i need to do what do you need what do you need what do you need like that kind of shit mm-hmm. and so and she was like yeah like if your partner if if you're doing that and your partner isn't giving you what you need because it's not about what they need it's about what you need yeah 
So if they're not if they're not capable of giving you what you need, you need to like back off mm-hmm. to give them, you know, whatever it is, the space they need to like, you know, figure figure their stuff out so that then they can come to you and either tell you what they need or give you what you need. Mm-hmm. And so like I noticed this happening at one point over the weekend and I was like, okay, I got to like fix this. I got to I got to say the thing that they want to hear. What with the secure but, and then, and, and then, and then I was like, wait, no, you just got to let it, you got to leave it for a minute. And so I tried that and I was like, holy shit, this is so unintuitive and so against everything that I feel like I need to do in this moment. And it was so hard. It was like, uh, you know, it was like. It was like if you're addicted to nicotine and you ran out of cigarettes and you just decided you're not going to buy more. Mm-hmm. And then 10 minutes go by and you're like, no, no, I got to. Yeah. I need that fix. Like I need to get those. I need to get those darts in me right now. Yeah. Um, it was really hard. You know. I. Yeah, I, I can relate to that comfort that feeling of like being out of your zone for a minute, like, like leaning into the discomfort. Yeah. Like this can't possibly be, this can't be the, the way to this do it. This doesn't fit. Yeah. 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 That, that I had a similar moment in a conflict a handful of weeks ago where I had, I just had to go up after like a period of silence, you know, usually I'm the distancer, I'm the avoidant and just put my hands, you know, on, on Todd's shoulders and say, I'll fix this. Like all, this is not something you need to worry about. Worry about. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do this. I'll do this work. Yeah. And, 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 you know, his response was rightly, well, I'm worried you're going to resent me for that. Right. And interestingly enough, somehow, in the choice to go in to him and say, like, I'll take responsibility for this. Yeah. I knew I wasn't going to feel resentment. No, because it's not because it's not him. No, it's you. It's now it's me. Right. It's like it's, it's you. Me. It's you going. No, no, no. This isn't me fixing this because you did something. Yeah. This is me taking the responsibility to fix the thing because I know I'm the one that's fucking. Yeah. You know, whether it's at fault or I'm the one that's making it worse or I'm the you know. Yeah. And then, um, man, this is so funny. We're both like going through this at the same time because because then then I get then I then I have to then what not happens? only do I have to struggle with the okay I'm doing this thing that doesn't feel fucking normal mm-hmm. and feels like you know everything in my body wants to not do this. Then I got to work through a bunch of like self hate, yeah, that comes up from oh my it, god know? immediately like just self loathing of like what the is wrong with you you fucking idiot like like why don't you just why are you just cool why can't you just fucking be cool dude you know and i think i you know not to like not to i don't want to get into like the stuff that's going on with me yeah um just out of respect for for kira but one thing i gotta say is like holy shit does this girl ever it is she ever a mature human like she's so good like she's so even when I'm being totally just bananas, she's just like level headed and fucking chill. And even if, even if there might be like a part of her, that's like a more avoidant than, than I am, there's, there's uh 
I gotta say, I'm really grateful that, that she's very like, she's very smart and very like conscientious. And it ma- it makes that, that struggle a lot more, a lot easier mm-hmm. than it would be if it was, you know, if she was, if she, if she didn't have a really good grasp on that, mm-hmm. you know, like say she was fearful avoidant and really intense about it, mm-hmm. which she's not, but let's just say that that was like, you know, her background where she came from and and we were butting heads in that like anxious preoccupied versus fearful avoidant well that was you that's you and me it, it, that's yeah probably it, that's what I. that's what it that's what it was yeah. yeah yeah and it was like it's hard it's hard because yeah. then you have two people that are like self-loathing themselves for their own shit but then also like not communicating with their partner and kind of coming down on each other for for this this in, like in breakdown really in communication ways yeah in such different ways right and so, like, you know, guaranteed there's people listening right now that probably fall into one of those four categories and their partner falls into one of those four categories, probably different from you. Mm-hmm. And without having the knowledge of this sort of modality of, of psychological history mm-hmm. and just trying to get navigate through conflict in relationship is so much harder, right? It's like, this is why things like therapy or couples therapy are just like so valuable and so important because it gives you tools to like actually look at these types of things, which if you didn't have this, if you didn't have this, this sort of breakdown of different subcategories that you fall into, you don't think about it like this. You, you, you instead you just think, well, I'm not we're or we're just not meant to be or like whatever yeah. the fuck it is. Right. So it's like <laughs> yeah. when you when you go, oh, but actually, wait, like I was neglected as a kid or I had a hard childhood or you or know, even that or, was hard. This that one thing about my childhood was hard. Yeah. Yeah. Not whatever like it is. I had a bad childhood. Even if you had a good childhood, childhood but you exactly. had like, you know, some sort of like traumatic resentment for your parents because of one thing that they did. And then that, you know, that turned you into the human you are today, like whatever it is. When you actually like look at it from this vantage point, it's like, Oh fuck. Okay. This makes it a lot easier to like kind of probably forceps pulling you out of the womb. Yeah. Like, you know, that kind of, yeah. (laughs) Your first introduction to the world was it squeezing your brain. I mean, we like just this week we, we posted uh, an episode of on sick boy with Julia Samuel. We've got a couple of her books here. She's an incredible British psychiatrist and she's amazing. She's so fucking amazing, but she just released this book. It's not available yet in Canada, but it will be next year about families and like family dynamics and how mm. families fuck us up and how. Have you read it? No, not yet. I'm, I'm, I, I read cannot it. wait to get my hands. On it. She, she truly is like her books. Uh, this too shall pass is one book and it's about grief, but like not grief, death, grief, like change. grief. Okay. And then her other book is called uh, Grief Works, which is like about death and losing someone. She's so amazing. She's my favorite podcast guest ever. Oh, wow. I've, we've had her on Sequoia twice. We're going to get her on a third time when her new book comes out in Canada. If you're listening in the UK, her book is out now. I think it's called like Family Matters or something like that. Anyway, wow. um, well, you know, talking to her, like talk, I was talking to her about, I was talking to her about what I did with Austin the other day, my nephew. And I was telling Austin, like, hey, if you pick your nose and eat your boogers, your boogers are going to, they're going to eat, they have teeth and they'll eat out, they'll eat you out from the inside of your belly out and you'll die. 
Oh, God. Because I was trying to be like, dude, don't eat your fucking boogers. It's nasty. Yeah. Instead of saying it's it, just like trying to clarify that it's I dirt. don't like it. It's gross. We have a, as a society have decided that it's not appropriate for you to eat your yeah, boogers. Yeah, like, like I could have said that. But instead <laughs> I was like, well, why don't I just like lie to him and tell him that his boogers are little demons that will like chew out his belly and, 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 and come out of, eat a hole out of his belly button. How that could go badly. And so he believed it. And I went back a few weeks later and he picked his nose and he brought it over to his mom and gave her the booger. And I was like, hey, how come you didn't eat your boogers? And he's like, oh, and as if I didn't tell him, he was like, oh, well, let me tell you, because they have teeth and they'll eat me. They'll eat out from inside my belly. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sweet. It worked. And I told Julia that. And she was like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Because oh. they trust you. Yeah. You need to be. And, and, and. He's going to learn one day that that's not true. And then he's not going to trust you. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's the same thing with like Santa and the, and the Easter yeah. bunny, like these things, they're actually not that helpful. And so what does that do to him growing up? Even that, that slight thing, that's very silly, you know, as an adult, we can look at that yeah. and laugh at it and it's silly. Totally. But maybe that fucks, childhood- maybe that makes him fucking feel like he can't trust anyone. Yeah. You know? And then, so how does that, how does that pan out in a relationship, in a romantic relationship? Yeah having trust issues because someone told you their your boogers will Oh my will god, kill you. like we did the worst things to each other. Like my older siblings used to like just try to make me cry cuz they thought it was cute, then I did the same thing to my little sisters, yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, just like So not cute though. Told them, you know, their mother yeah. was dead when their she was really just at the <laughs> supermarket, <laughs> you know, that's, stuff like that's that. Pretty, that's pretty funny, yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, the amount of times I've like convinced one of my younger siblings that I'm a witch or a vampire. You know, yeah. to they still message me about like things that they'll never, and I can totally relate to that because I feel I'll often relate the feeling of growing up and becoming sort of more knowledgeable about the world as being an incredibly disappointing experience. Yeah, and it started like that's the real first memory I have is of one of someone older than me who I looked up to letting me down in a way that I was like, yeah, you're not supposed to. I wasn't. Yeah. Lie. I had you on a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I've never, and it's just been a downhill slide ever since. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, I mean, again, this is like, we've had a couple of these conversations recently. I think the, the last one that really fucking blew my mind was, um, Fawn. Was the Fawn response with uh, Nisha Fair. Yeah, our books are in the mail. And now this one, uh, this one uh, with, with Yana. Yeah. Just, an, you know, I'm learning so much about the human, the human condition and, and just how we, how, how, how we can be better for one another, you know? So it's, and, and I, and I know that there's people listening right now that are kind of like on that journey with us. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. And uh, thank you for 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 tuning in again for yet another awesome killer, yeah, we're wicked so... episode. Can't wait for um, for for Yana's book to come out. Pre order now. Go to the link in the bio or in the description. Absolutely, I have a feeling it's going to be one you won't want to uh, put down. Hot and unbothered. We really enjoyed the the conversation with um, her, and we're so grateful and honored that you. Yeah are here again this week. Uh, Ottawa, we're coming to see you June 8th. We're doing a live show. Uh, tickets are going to be going up soon. And then uh, we're going to be at Coca, so we can't wait to do that. It'll be really fun. So if We haven't done a live show since pre-pandemic. It's been a 
fucking minute. I'm a little bit worried about selling tickets. It's it. I feel no. I always do, but uh, that's love, that's my anxious. We uh, have so many anxious, loves in Ottawa. What was it? My anxious. <laughs> uh, uh, preoccupied. Preoccupied. What can go wrong attachment. will go wrong. Yeah. That's not good. Um, pessimistic and worried about their live shows. <laughs> and they often need reassure, reassurance from their listeners and will create or overemphasize conflicts. Yeah, so hit us out with a hell yeah that you're coming to the yeah, show. Yeah, we're coming to see you, Ottawa. We'd love it. We can't wait. Um, thanks for tuning in. If you want to support the podcast, leave an Apple rating and review. Or on your Spotify mobile app, just leave a little rating. We'd love to see it. And uh, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. We've got uh, a, a few people have written in. And uh, I was going to bring it up this episode, but uh, we're going to wait till next week. We have a really fascinating uh, study about vaginas and the shapes of vaginas and how they differ. Uh, all in response to that episode we did recently about penises in television. Okay. So we're going to talk about that next week. And uh, and we also had somebody write in about some uh, really great abortion stuff uh, <laughs> with our friend um, Margaret Atwood. I call her my friend because she's my favorite author. And so I just pretend that I know her. Uh, so we'll talk about that next week, too. Uh, if you want to be on the show or you have a, a guest suggestion, again, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Hit us up with your spicy guests. The, yeah. Uh, love it. The season is upon us. Love start, it. Start talking about some And, uh, okay, don't it? Relax. Just fucking chill. And, uh, we, w- hey, hey, just don't. Yeah. You're a very good guard dog. Good job. Good, good job. Good guarding. Yes, we're safe. Shh, we're safe. Um, uh, what was the last thing I was going to say there? Uh, uh, oh, yeah, right. Patreon.com slash Shut up. <laughs> hey, shush. Shushy. Shushy. Patreon.com slash on. If you want to see Donut freaking out right now, uh, you can watch our, our, our after tears and our uh, foreplay segments. That's enough. All right. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Okay. That's it for this week. <laughs> Until next week. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.